Greetings in the strong name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let us stand for our call to worship. Our call to worship comes from Psalm 57, verses 9 through 11. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. We praise you, Lord, among the nations. For great is your love reaching to the heavens. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. This is the word of the Lord. Let us lift our voices together and sing, We Praise You, O Lord, number 560. seated. Greetings and welcome to all those that are joining us, those of you that are here and those of you are joining us online or viewing the video later this week. It is a delight to have you here. As we get organized, um, a couple things to keep in mind. Pastor Bill and Mary Lynn are out of town today. Um, they are attending the memorial service for Mary Lynn's mother-in-law um, in Charlotte. Um, I'm sorry, Mary Lynn's stepmother who passed away um, several months ago, and they will be out through Memorial Day as they're traveling. This morning, we're privileged to welcome to the pulpit um, Dr. Tanner Smith. Um, Dr. Smith comes to us from the Colossian Forum, 
um, in Grand Rapids, the Colossian Forum is a forum that is um, a ministry designed to promote discipleship through helping people learn how to have difficult conversations about controversial topics. <clears throat> so it'll be interesting to see what difficult topics he brings to us. <clears throat> I'm sorry, my voice is going this morning. Um, after coffee, we will, after service, we will have um, coffee and the munchies in the library. There will be no post-service follow-up. A couple of um, announcements I want to make known to you. Um, beginning today, we are having an auction. Um, this auction is for, are you ready? Pews from the sanctuary that we're no longer using. So if you've always wanted a pew for your home, this is your opportunity. Um, there's also some other things that we have for sale there, some chairs, that really cool tricycle, um, and a few other things. And those funds, um, money raised for that will go for parking lot maintenance and resurfacing that needs to take place in the near future. Also, tomorrow morning, um, that's Monday um, at 11, 11 a.m. or so, 11.30, I'm sorry, we're going to get together in the great room across the hall for a potluck and a time of bingo. So if you want to join us just to hang out and have some fun tomorrow morning. And then on Saturday, um, I'm sorry, Sunday, I am really off today. Um, Sunday, May 28th, um, we will have a combined service at 10 a.m. That's Memorial Day service. That'll be a combined service at... Um, 10 a.m. in the pavilion across the parking lot there, and we look forward to you joining us there, and we will have treats afterwards. So we look forward to, to seeing you um, that Sunday morning as well. It's always a great time to join together with the other worshiping communities across campus and lift our hearts and praise together. So um, from Heidelberg Catechism, what do you believe concerning the Holy Spirit? Let us stand and lift our hearts together by singing Spirit of God who dwells within my heart.
may be seated. Let us unite our hearts in prayer. Gracious Father, we thank you for the privilege of gathering this Sunday morning to worship you. We thank you for the privilege not only that can we gather to worship you, but that believers around the world can gather to worship you as well. And we pray that you will hear our praise, that you will hear our prayers, and that you will hear the cries of your people throughout the world as we worship you. <clears throat> we pray this morning especially for Hardwick Ministries. We pray that you would continue to give us a spirit of humility, a spirit of love, a spirit of patience, a spirit of kindness as we minister together across this campus. We pray for Mission, which will meet this afternoon in this space as they gather to worship. We pray for Watershed as they gather here in a few minutes to worship across campus and as Aaron brings a message for them. We pray for our brothers and sisters in Fusion as they worship across the hall in a bit. And we pray that you would be with this community as we worship, knowing that, knowing that the other communities across campus are praying for them as well. And that we take comfort that our calling is to build each other up in the Lord, to bear one another's burdens, to weep with those who weep, and to rejoice with those who rejoice. We pray for the celebration community. We pray for the people who, have, who are part of it. We pray for those who are struggling with illness. We pray for those who are struggling with family troubles. We pray for those, pray for those who life just feels hard right now. We pray that your spirit would come alongside them, that your spirit would comfort them that as a community we might walk alongside them, that we might bear their burden with them, that we might care well for them in these times of difficulty. And Lord, we also pray for those in authority over us. We pray in light of, as First Timothy calls us to do, we pray for our governor, Gretchen Whitmer, Dana Nessel, our attorney general, Joyce Benson, Jocelyn Benson, our Secretary of State, our House and our Senators, Representatives. We pray that you would be with them, that you would give them wisdom and discernment as they navigate the matters before them. We pray also for Patrick and Kara Blumendale, who are serving with the Caribbean Death Ministry that are living in Zealand. We pray that you would be with them as they serve that community in a particular way from here in Zealand. We pray that they might feel your presence. And so, Lord, as we continue to worship you, as we hear your word, open our hearts and minds to the teaching of your word through your spirit. And may we, um, through the teaching of your word, be equipped to disciple others, to invite others on the journey of finding their identity in you, of faithfully following you, and of serving you throughout their entire lives. And on this Mother's Day, we pray especially for those in our midst, those mothers, we pray that you would bless them. We thank you for them and for the ways that they have strive, striven to faithfully raise their children in the Lord. Bless them. Now, let us pray as our Lord taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we are debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. It's now my privilege to invite the children to come racing forward for their time with um, our children's ministry director, Becky Visser. Are there any children coming forward? None racing forward. I have candy up she here. She has candy. Come forward. So Ron, if you want to come forward, you may for candy. Okay, there's two coming. I they heard the word candy. <laughs> Sometimes you have to brag. Oh, two them. more. Okay. <clears throat> okay, I want you, you all to know have, that this is like my kids. favorite candy. Have a seat right here. Have you guys ever had these before? Yeah, what are they? Gummy worms, yes. When my kids were younger, they loved to eat these. I'm gonna take one out a minute. They loved eating these, um, especially when I would make something called worms in the dirt. Have you had that before? It, it sounds terrible, but it is chocolate pudding with these little gummy worms on the top, right? And do you know what gummy worms are made out of? No? Pure sugar and gelatin. That's it. Probably not the healthiest thing for you to binge on, but my kids liked them, and every once in a while they'd get them as a special treat. Now, gummy worms, if you watch, you're able to stretch them, right? You know what this reminds me of? Sometimes we will face challenges in life, and those challenges will help to stretch and shape us into the people God has made us to be. There's a verse in the Bible from Isaiah that says, You, Lord, are our Father. We are the clay, and you are the potter. We are the work of your hand. God made us and shaped us with his hands. So like this gummy worm, he might challenge us to grow by stretching us. And just like the potter, he has to stretch us in order to shape us, right? If a potter doesn't stretch the clay, the clay just stays in a big clump, right? So when God stretches us, he's making us into something beautiful. So I want you to remember that this week. If you face challenges at home, at school, with friends, just remember, try to think of something good is going to come out of that because God is shaping you and stretching you into the person he created you to be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, when we see a gummy worm and taste its sweetness, may we be reminded that you are the potter and we are the clay. Help us to be open to your stretching of us to mold us and shape us into who you truly want us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, if you're going to go back to your seat, make sure before you open this and eat it, you check with your parents, but you guys may take one. And anyone that wants to go down for Sunday school right now may follow Miss Janet downstairs for that. And I'll keep some extra in the front pew, so if you're really fast and you get up here, you'll get a few. Okay, I have to confess, gummy worms and gummy bears are my favorite candy. Okay, so 
Thank you. I'll remember this in your review. So um, it's a privilege this morning um, to welcome um, Dr. Tanner Smith to the pulpit. Let's give him a warm heart awake. Welcome. Thank you. Good, mor- good morning. Can you uh, hear me all right? Yeah? All right. Well, I'm so pleased to be with you. Um, let me get this to open here. Uh, so I've known Pastor JB. You know JB? I've known him since he was in, uh, at Hope College. I was serving as a youth director in Hudsonville, and um, JB was uh, pre-med, and um, I ruined that for him. I'm sure he would say thank you for that. He, uh, he was pre-med at Hope, and I needed an intern for youth ministry work I was doing in Hudsonville, and he stepped up and played guitar and was amazing with kids, just like he's amazing with everybody, and we've been friends ever since. So he uh, did me a favor and allowed me to come and be with you today, so I'm happy to be with all of you. Thanks for having me. Um, before we uh, turn to 1 Corinthians 13, would you join me one time in prayer? Living God, open our hearts and our minds, open our will, open our hands and our feet to receive you once more as the living word who shapes us and transforms us. As we listen to these words from ancient scripture, we pray that they would be like a seed planted in our garden that would grow and bear fruit, that we might witness to your love all we encounter. In the name of the risen Christ, we pray through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Are you accustomed to standing for the reading of the, of the word? Be willing to do that if you're able, stand for the reading of the word. So, really uh, well-known passage of scripture from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you've been to a wedding recently, you've probably heard this read, but Listen with fresh ears if you can. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Everybody say that last line together. Love never fails. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. So, um, after the 2016 election, which was a a particularly difficult one for our country, uh, because of just the division that was created through all the rhetoric over the course of many months, um, there was a, some, some data that was collected by a researcher after that election, and it found that one in six Americans reported, one in six Americans reported that they had lost an important relationship after the election. That's a lot. One in six Americans reported that there was an important relationship And then there was a rupture as a result of everything that happened in 2016. Think about that. One in six. 
the same data set also said that the same Americans, 93% of them said that they wanted to do better in their difficult relationships, but they didn't know how. So what does that tell you? 93% of us really want to do well. I don't know about that other 7%. We don't have to like deal with them right now. We don't talk about that. But 93% of us know that it's really hard and we want to do better. We want relationships to be closer. We want to be connected with others. We even want to be connected with people who think very differently about things than we do. But we just aren't sure how. And it's so difficult that one in six of us just can't find a way to do that. We have these ruptures in our relationships, don't we? Our relationships aren't always easy. There's mistakes that we make, pain that we cause, missteps. And we all want something. I mean, that 93% of us wants to be connected. We have a longing inside of us, a desire to be connected with one another. Longing is what makes love real, right? It's this longing inside of us to be connected, to be loved by others, to, to, to be seen and be known for who we are and to be accepted that every single one of us has, but we just so often fail at it. We all have longings. It's at the heart of what it means to be a human being. I think it's actually part of what God put in us when God created us was a longing, longing for God and a longing for one another. The deepest longing that we have is to be known and loved for who we really are. That's the longing that you see when you look at the first story in Scripture, the story of, of Gen of, uh, in Genesis of, uh, of the garden, right? You've got God and you've got Adam and Eve and there's this, I mean, what's the, what's the nature of what's happening there? It's this connection, this relationship, right? God creates human beings because God longs for someone to share love with. The love that is experienced in the Trinity, it's so big, it overflows, and God says we have to have someone to share this with. And so it says that they create men and women in God's own image, and then they share that love, and the love happens through walks in the cool of the evening, through the garden. And then what happens? There's a longing for more in the hearts of Adam and Eve. They think they're missing out on something. Maybe God's holding out on them, and so they step out what they feel is something that will fulfill that longing inside of them, and they make a mistake. There's a rupture in the relationship. But you notice what God does when God comes back to the garden after the, after the fall. What does God do? Does God just start throwing things and breaking things and throwing a tantrum? Do you remember what happens? God, God goes for a walk through the garden and just kind of calls out, where are you? I miss you. Where are you? I'm, I'm here for our walk. What, what happened? It's not like God throws a huge fit, breaks things, like I said. It's, it's that God is, is naming God's longing. I love you. I want to be with you. I want to be connected to you. The reality is that if you love anyone, there will be rupture there will be pain, there will be difficulty. It's as simple as that. It is impossible to have loving relationships without taking some risk because we know that we will make mistakes. So, this morning, I just want to spend a few brief moments talking about how 
to navigate relationships where those ruptures happen, those breaks happen, where conflict arises, where things are difficult. I want to talk to the 93% of you and me who want to do better in those difficult relationships but just aren't quite sure how to do it. Because we all have disappointments and we all have difficulties. But in really healthy relationships, we're willing to risk those ruptures because we know that the love is worth it. So, that's one of my parenting goals. Happy Mother's Day, by the way. I have a mother who, um, who I just knew that no matter what happened, we could always make repairs. We could always repair the relationship because the love was strong enough. So that's what I want to talk about this morning is how do you navigate relationships where when the rupture happens, the repair is possible. Well, this is the passage that we uh, looked at. This is uh, from the Apostle Paul's letter to the uh, Corinthians, the Corinthian Christians. This is the first letter. And I want to zoom in on uh, one particular part of it, um, th- that part towards the bottom where it says, love always. Love always does several things. Always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. What if I told you that someone would protect you no matter what? You could find a person who would always protect you. They would always have your back. They would always guard you. That you could trust them and that they would always trust you because you were both just so perfectly trustworthy. Or that you could always hope for the best with them because they would always do what was right for you. They would, 100% of the time, they would make decisions that would be for your best interest. That no matter what, they would always persevere. They would never, ever, ever give up on you. It sounds pretty great, right? It's what we all want in friends and loved ones. You might say, I don't believe that it's possible. And that's true, right? Because we have these difficulties. We have these breaks. There's this book, it's probably 20-some years old, by a guy named... uh, Dr. Scott Peck. I don't know if anybody's ever read any of his stuff, but this book's called The Road Less Traveled. And he talks about how love requires courage. Here's what he says. Love always requires courage and involves risk. If you trust anybody, you may be hurt. I would say you will be hurt. If you depend on someone, they might let you down. If someone's determined not to risk any pain, then that person is going to have to do without a lot of things. If you want to avoid pain in your life, you're going to have to do without a lot of things. Having children, getting married, the hope of ambition, any kind of friendship, everything that makes life alive, meaningful, and significant. Move out or grow in any dimension, and pain as well as joy will be your reward. A full life will be full of pain, but the only alternative is not to live fully or not to live at all. Not a very uplifting guy, I guess. But honest, right? When we love, we know that there's pain that also comes with it. So, refusing to love is refusing to live. Let's talk about how to actually love and to navigate the pain that we know will actually come. We talk about love always protecting, always trusting, always uh, always protecting, always trusting, always hoping, and always persevering. I want to unpack those four words and, and find in them that it gives us a little bit of a picture of how we might actually love one another better, especially through difficulty. So the first one is love always protects. The word protects in this passage is, uh, it's a Greek word because this text is written in Greek. And it's the word stego, like, like stegosaurus. It's the word stego. And stego means a roof or a shelter. 
Love is a shelter. It's a roof. It protects you from the storm. It's a beautiful image, isn't it? Love is a shelter. So really practically, this is what love looks like. When somebody says, I lost my job, or I'm depressed, I don't think my marriage is going to make it, or I'm lonely, I'm addicted, something terrible has happened to me, I don't feel safe in my home, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to pay the bills this month. When somebody says something like that that's very, very difficult, then love says, come in out of the storm. Come under the roof. Get some shelter. We'll help you figure out those bills. I'll drive you to a place where you can get good rehabilitation. I, I, I know a guy, and, and we can talk to him about maybe finding you a new job. I, I know a really good marriage counselor, and I'll drive you there. I'll walk in there with you. I'll buy you a cup of coffee, and I'll just listen to your story. I'll make you soup when you're sick. I mean, that's, these little moves are what love does. Love is a roof. It's, we think like we have to sort of have this big grand plan, but really it's just, we call it in, in the work that I do, being an empathetic witness having empathy and walking alongside of somebody for the long haul. It's these little moves that we make to put a roof over the head of somebody who is going through a storm. The truth is love can't guarantee that bad things will never happen, but love can guarantee that when bad things happen, you will never have to go through them alone. Love always protects because love is like a roof. Now, the interesting thing about putting a roof up is that uh, you can't make somebody come under it, right? I remember being a kid and I, playing outside. Um, I grew up in Iowa, so the sky would turn green once in a while, which is a really bad sign. You've seen a green sky? It's terrifying. And it means that the storm is going to be really, really bad. But I would be out there playing in the, in the woods, and my mom would yell, you need to come in now. It's time. And I, she couldn't make me do it, right? Like, she could tell me, you're in trouble if you don't come in. But I, I had to choose to do it on my own volition. That's the thing with the roof, right? Letting somebody protect you, coming in out of the storm, it requires trust. I can build a roof, but you have to decide to come in out of the rain. And so that means I have to show myself to be trustworthy over a long period of time, and that you have to choose to trust me. So that's the next word. Love always trusts. Love is a roof, and love always trusts. Trust is a beautiful idea like love, right? But it's just that. It's just an idea. And the challenge with trust is that it takes risk, just like loving takes risk. If you trust somebody, you are making yourself vulnerable to them. You, you're saying to them, I'm going to let you hurt me if you choose to do so. When we trust someone, we're opening ourselves up to the, to the possibility that we might be let down, we might be disappointed, that we might be hurt. I think sometimes that's why we move away from each other, especially when it comes to these big conflicts that we share in our society. It's because we don't trust each other. <clears throat> we actually trust more what we've heard other people say about one another than we do about our experiences with one another. And part of good neighboring is showing ourselves to be trustworthy over a very long period of time so when those difficult things do happen, we move toward each other instead of away from each other. Many of us find it difficult to trust just in general. I know that I do. 
It takes me a really long time to trust people. I'm oftentimes starting out from a place of skepticism when I meet people. But being unwilling to take the risk of trust means that I also am unwilling to connect deeply with other people. I have to trust if I'm going to connect with you. I've got to put myself out there. So what's the key to taking a risk, to opening ourselves up to trusting? Well, author Henry Nouwen talks about the relationship between trust and love uh, in his book, The Life of the Beloved. He says, as soon as someone accuses me or criticizes me, so as soon as there's any difficulty in a relationship, as soon as I feel rejected, left alone, or abandoned, I find myself thinking, well, that proves it once again, I'm a nobody. My dark side says, I'm no good. I deserve to be pushed aside, forgotten, rejected, and abandoned. Self-rejection is the greatest enemy of the spiritual life because it contradicts the sacred voice that calls us the beloved. Being the beloved of God is what he's talking about. Being God's beloved constitutes the core truth of our existence. How many of you have ever thought, uh, I wish I could sin less? All of you, I think. It's just not a hand-raising group, but I'm sure every single one of you has thought, I thought at this point in my life I would be done acting in this way or thinking these thoughts or being like this. Have you ever had that thought before? Me too. Until we hear the voice of God saying, you are my beloved. I love you. You're my child. There's nothing you can do about it. Until we hear God say that to us, all of our efforts to be, to control our sin, to manage our sin, are worthless. Because it is only when we are responding to love that we can have the trust inside of us to let go of the things that we think will keep us safe. Let me say that again. It is only when we experience a love so deep and so trustworthy that we are able to let go of the things that we think keep us safe. If you are a greedy person, it is because you think money keeps you safe. And you will never not be greedy. You will never be generous until you experience the kind of generosity in the lo- that comes from the love of God. Does that make sense? We cannot let go of the things that we wish would go away until we have experienced God saying to us, Joan, you are beloved. Tom, you are beloved. Andy, you are beloved. Darwin, you are beloved. Until we hear those words in trust, we cannot move forward in trust. We cannot come in out of the rain. We can't step in under the roof until we experience being loved. That's what Henry Nouwen is saying here. The key to trusting others is trusting God and trusting that what God says about you is absolutely true. It's the truest thing about you. But that is what constitutes your whole, real, true self. 
And psychological researchers tell us that Henry Nouwen is right. I mean, his spiritual, uh, his, his spiritual statement here is actually backed up by social science research. There's one really uh, well-known, kind of famous researcher right now. Her name is Brene Brown. Maybe you've heard of her, read some of her stuff. <clears throat> but her research concludes that people, people who believe themselves to be loved or worthy of love actually experience a deeper sense of love. <laughs> Right? When we actually believe that God speaks love over us, we believe that we can receive love from others because we believe that we're worthy of it. Not because of anything that we've done, but just because of the fact that we are beloved of God. It doesn't mean that we're never going to get hurt. Right? It just means that when we get hurt, it doesn't destroy our sense of belovedness. We get wounded. But we are loved by God, we can be loved by others, and that allows us to be resilient and move forward, even in relationships where sometimes somebody does things that are hurtful. Accepting God's unconditional love for us, that's where the whole journey starts. And when we accept God's love for us, then we can love each other. You've heard something like that in Scripture, right? 1 John 4, verse 19, it says, we love because God first loved us. Yeah. <clears throat> it's only when we trust that we are loved that we can give and receive love to others. Now, when we start to open up to giving and receiving love, it creates hope inside of us. That feeling that you have of a light cracking through a dark door. Hope starts to open up in us. And that's when 1 Corinthians says, love always hopes. So we have a roof and we have a growing trust in our belovedness, and that produces hope in our lives. <clears throat> I love this quote from Thomas Aquinas about the relationship between faith or trust and hope. He says, faith believes what it does not see, and hope moves towards something it does not possess. Faith believes what it cannot see, hope moves toward it. It's beautiful. Hope moves towards, it's not just an emotion, hope is an action. Hope animates your faith. One of the clearest stories of hopelessness and hope, despair moving towards hope, is a friend uh, of mine who had an abortion years ago. And she shared the words of her diary with me, and it really helped me understand hope in, an, in a new way. I asked if I could share her words with you, and she said that I could. So listen to these words from her diary about hope. She said, for 12 years, I believed a lot of lies. I was stuck in a cycle of lies and darkness and depression, hopelessness. Before my abortion, the lies I believed sounded like this. This'll all be over soon, and you'll never have to think about it again. This is the only way that you can save yourself. Once it's done, it's over, and you can move on with your life. It's just one little moment, one choice. And it's something that you have to do to be okay. She writes, the accuser took away my hope that there could be any other option. But once it was finished, new lies began. The new lies sounded like this. How could you do such a horrible thing? You should hate yourself. You're a monster. Don't you dare tell anyone. Everybody's going to think you're disgusting. You're worth nothing because you are nothing. She says, the accuser took away my hope that there was any future unless I had an abortion, 
and when it was over, he took away my hope of any life after an abortion. That is what hopelessness, despair sounds like. It's this belief that you are absolutely unlovable. That there is nothing about you that can be redeemed. But that's not love, right? Because love always hopes. And when love sees despair, when love finds despair, love brings hope. Quite stunningly, the people who are often most capable of bringing hope into places of despair are the people who have walked the valley of despair themselves. We call these people wounded healers. Ever heard of a wounded healer? Henry Nouwen talks about them in his book of the same name. He writes, nobody escapes being wounded. We all are wounded people, whether physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. The main question is not how can we hide our wounds, which if I'm honest is what I spend most of my time doing when I think about my woundedness. It's not how can we hide our wounds so we don't have to be embarrassed, but how can we put our woundedness into the service of others? When our wounds cease to be a source of shame and become a source of healing, we have become wounded healers. Every single one of us has a wound in our lives. And as our wounds begin to heal and we stop trying to hide them, we can start to let God use them to bring hope to people who are in despair. My friend who wrote these words from the diary, she thought that she was the only person who ever felt shame about their past. But then one day there was this woman, she was at a a women's conference, a woman shared her own story, not just of shame and brokenness, but of forgiveness and healing, her own story of abortion. That woman was a wounded healer. She had walked that same valley of despair that my friend had. And in hearing her words, this woman bearing witness to God's love in the midst of the darkest place of her entire life, my friend started to believe, a little crack of hope came in, crack of light. She started to believe that she could also be loved by God. And that hope that my friend had led my friend to begin to share her story with others. And as she did, she was met with love. She was met with people probably like a lot of you in this room who said, yeah, love is a, love is a roof. Come in out of the storm. We'll walk with you. People surrounded her. They supported her. They loved her into healing. And that's the last thing that love does. Love always perseveres. The Greek word that's translated as persevere here, it literally means to bear up under a heavy load. You sort of have this image of somebody underneath something very heavy, but pushing up against it. That's what perseveres means. Love doesn't walk away when the load gets heavy, when things get difficult. Love perseveres. It bears up under the weight especially when someone shares their woundedness, their vulnerability, when someone takes a risk of letting themselves be known. A group of people came around my friend and they persevered. They bared up underneath this heavy load she was carrying as she told her story. They helped her carry it. And their perseverance and their love over a long period of time grew her trust in God's love and in their love. And she began to believe that God could love her. And then she began to live her life as though God really did love her, which allowed her to love other people. Because 
we love because God first loved us. And as she started to believe that her life had purpose and meaning, that gave her courage to begin sharing her story. And she now is a wounded healer who shares her story with women to help them as they walk through that same valley of despair that she was once in. Do you see how this works? That's how hope and love grow in the world. It grows through you. As you experience yourself to be loved and you share that love with others, you become wounded healers. And that's the power of love in this world. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. So I wonder this morning, if as I've been talking, a difficult relationship has come to mind, a difficult person. If they're in the room, don't look at them. That would not be But if a difficult relationship or a difficult person, some deep wound has come to mind for you, Maybe it's somebody in your life who just, it feels like they're always hiding themselves. You want them to know that it's safe to come in out of the rain. Or maybe it's somebody where there's been a rupture, a a break in your relationship, and you need to do some repair work, some forgiving, or some asking of forgiveness. Or maybe it's somebody who, who really needs you to just show up and be there over the long haul, help them bear up under the heavy load that they're carrying. Somebody who needs a shelter from the storm, somebody, somebody who already is a wounded healer, they brought some healing to your life and you just need to go and tell them how they've helped to heal you. I wonder if a person comes to mind, and if not, if you might invite the Holy Spirit to put a person on your mind and your heart. And if you might begin to pray by that, for that person by name and maybe even reach out and move toward them this week in some way, I wonder if you might participate in the things that love does. If you would participate in the way that love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. That's the invitation this morning. Let's pray. Living God, We accept your invitation to love. And we invite you, Holy Spirit, to grow fruit on our branches, the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. Help us to always protect, always trust, always hope, and always persevere. Your love for us changes us. It transforms us. Help us to become more like your Son, Jesus Christ, the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray these things, and all God's children said together, amen. Would you please join me in singing uh, number 770, In Christ Alone.
friends, receive this benediction. May the love of God fill you. May you find the love of God always protects, always moves you toward trust, always builds hope, and always perseveres in you. May the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine on you and be gracious to you, turn his face toward you and give you peace that you might share it with loved ones alike. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Let's lift our voices as we sing the doxology together. Thank you.